This show contains badass material and foul f***ing language. Some people may find offensive. What else did you expect? Nostalgia really whips the llama's ass. How's it going, everybody? This is Chewy. And this is Monica. And we are from the podcast titled Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. <laughs> Where we talk about stuff like horror films, shows, and folk legends. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podchaser. Like us and give us a review. Stoner Chicks. We're four friends who met through comedy and bonded through weed. I'm Grace Penzel. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Stephanie Thompson. I'm Phoebe Richards. If you love smoking weed and laughing with your friends, this podcast is for you. Weekly episodes will drop on Fridays starting April 2nd. So subscribe now to Stoner Chicks wherever you get your podcasts. Coming to your favorite podcatcher soon. (laughs) Hey. Hey. Welcome back to Nostalgia Young Podcast. Last week we talked about our favorite childhood television movie moments that also may have traumatized us for life. Uh, and when thinking about those, going back through those memories, let's let's bring it back up. Let's bring the mood back up in the room. There are two childhood memories when it comes to nostalgia. Something that scared the shit out of you and something that you really loved. Yeah, exactly. And so last week... We scared the pants off of each other. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, my mood was pretty high, but yeah, I remember at the time those were, oh my God. Those were pretty traumatizing moments. And this week, we will be digging into most nostalgic childhood TV memories. Yeah. yeah. These, this, this is wild. And I, as you know, I have a hard time with lists because I hate committing to something because I'll always think of something else. Well, this one was especially difficult because, like, you, we were talking a little before. Um, when you were a kid, we we come to realize like TV, children's TV programming is basically designed to like go for hours and just have you as a child sit in front of a TV <laughs> for hours and be occupied so your parents could have a nap. <laughs> you know what I mean? God. To take a break from, I guess the. The parent, you know, you don't realize it as a kid because you're just so entertained. Right. But uh, looking back when you were a little kid, there's so many shows, mm-hmm. too many, too shows many to go through. And how many hours did I sit in front of that TV? I mean, I don't, and I do want to know. Yeah, because you know these type of shows, as anyone knows, they have a limited window for you. Like as soon as you hit a new age group, yeah. You no longer affiliate yourself with those shows because that's for kids. Exactly. And now you're a young adult, you're a teen, so you don't watch that anymore. And again, Kyle and I have five years between us. Kyle is five years older than myself. That's huge when it comes to kids. So we were kind of going over a couple of shows just even beforehand, and he's like, no, no. And I'm like, what? I said, because I was, I was 12 at that point, man. I was too cool for that show. Fuck. It's like looking back on it now, it's like how lame is it? But you know what I mean. Like, so the difference is like a twelve-year-old versus a seven-year-old. One hundred percent. What they would watch. Yeah. And it's it, as an adult now, it seems such a minuscule amount of time. But yeah. as a kid, it really does make a lot of the difference. Are the shows that you watch at certain ages actually intended for you, or are you just watching it because it's on? 
That's a good question. And I, I just, there's no, is there an answer for that? Cause like we really just watched it cause it was on, but also, um, I mean, there has to be something about the age that you're in. Mm. Why would you pay attention and why would you keep watching certain shows if you weren't like if, almost if they weren't designed for you? Sure. This and more on Nostalgia Junk. <laughs> Kyle, what are you drinking? I got a three pack of Breton Brewing. From yeah, you Breton. Did. Beautiful. Got a brown ale, a red ale, and a smash. A smash. Pineapple smash session ale. Mm-hmm. That's a good starter to the night. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like... Uh, it's already gone. Yeah. Yeah, I started my evening with a Propeller Prime. Um, lives up to its name. It is literally the craft beer's answer to big box domesticated beer. Like an Olin's. Yep. Um, Paps. Blue Ribbon. Spindrift led the charge with Toller. Uh, and it was just such a massive hit. That others have now fallen suit. So you got you know, boxing rocks, puck off. You got propellers, prime. Well, this is the thing too: is that you know, craft beer has connotations of hoppy, abrasive flavors, layered. That you know, if it's thirty degrees outside and you're cutting the lawn, mm. a seven percent double IPA is really not going to fit the biscuit. No. <laughs> oh, it fits, but then you're sleeping on the lawn. Uh, Instead of cutting, yeah, and you're not sharing that bed that night because you've got the yeast just building up underneath your under boob <laughs> creases. <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> and you got the old. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, baby, that was a liquor talker. <laughs> yeah, the IPAs. Yeah. Now I'm on to the exact opposite of what I was saying. Um, I have a double IPA in my hand oh God. by Propeller, which is 8.2 percent. And I'm going to polish myself off with a good old-fashioned Perfect Storm rum and ginger beer. Mmm. Vern. Ah, uh, boy howdy. <laughs> boy howdy. Know what I mean? Last week we were talking about the traumatic but fond traumatic moments. Because there's a rush. There's that, oh my God, feeling associated with being horrified and scared as a kid. Yeah. That... Is almost like going on a roller coaster, some sort of amusement park ride. It's your emotions, you know, they're going up and down, but they leave this massive imprint. But for us, those moments that could have been large Marge or Dr. Otto getting too close to the screen leads both of us to our quest for chasing the dragon, (laughs) as it were. Some of us are just so desensitized that we need more. I know. We need more. And it's not jump scares. It's got to be good. Okay, so let's get the elephant out of the room, I guess. Okay. In terms of shows we're not going to be talking about. So sure. let's just say it right now. Yeah. Let's, Sesame Street. Sesame Street. That is just too big <laughs> We've all to seen just glaze Sesame. over, but also give credit to when there's so yes. many other shows. Like I was t- saying to you before, I think, I mean, it, it's there's, there's not really an argument to say, or it's not it's not out of control to say that Sesame Street is the greatest children's television program of, sure. all t- of all time. And then it's just like, we'll, you know, endure forever. Of course, another show that we don't really have to talk too much about is The Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Kermit mm-hmm. the Frog, Miss Piggy. Um, of course. You know, all that. But there was a special show, I guess, to me in terms of like being Canadian. All right. So we're um, getting into a list now. Yeah. Let's, well, let's just talk. Let's yeah, just yeah. start. No, let's no. Just start talking about shows. Let's get it. Up until the point I researched this right now, I had no idea this was really a Jim Henson show. 
but in terms for a Canadian show that I just loved, it was released 1983, ran until mm-hmm. 1987, and it is Fraggle Rock, um, also known as Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock with yes. Jim Henson's Muppets. Uh, a children's puppet television series about interconnected societies of Muppet creatures created by Jim Henson. What I loved about this show was that it was just like so self-contained. So in Sesame Street took place on a street, Fraggle Rock took place underground. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the, my favorite things about Fraggle Rock was um, there was uh, only a couple different types of characters. You had the Fraggles, who were the main characters. They're described in this article I'm reading, living a generally carefree life, spending most of their time playing, exploring, and generally enjoying themselves. But what they loved most was radishes and doozer sticks. Or was it dozer? Dozer sticks? Mm. Anyway, so the doozers, they were the ones I liked the best. They were like the nameless, like almost looking humanoid kind of creatures. Oh, yes. Not creatures. They They looked human. They were like the construction workers that worked underground and made the buildings out of those like clear... Uh, rods, but the Fraggles like loved those rods. Apparently, they were made up of ground up radishes, okay. and they would just like eat them up and eat them up and destroy anything the dozers made. Um, but yeah, Fraggle Rock. I just you know, again, it's like with ch- children's shows, you don't really remember what any of the shows were about because they probably weren't really about anything. It was mm. about like voices and characters, and but what I remember most about Fraggle Rock was the. Yeah, the Fraggles just destroying anything that the dozers made or the dozers made uh, and eating all their their buildings. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, like, I can hear the song playing in my head. Down to Fraggle Rock. Down That's to Fraggle it. Rock. That's it. A puppet-based show. Lamb Chops play along. Sherry Lewis. Sherry Lewis. She had a very, very clear-cut philosophy with her programming. And she she recognized that children slip into that zombie-like stupor when a TV is on, which I still do at 36, which is great. So she said that parents think that their children are interested, but they're actually really bored. So she wanted a program that featured lots of high energy and get them to actually engage with the show. So dance and sing along at home, not just sit there and be entertained for... 22 minutes Mm -hmm. the song that never ends i would say lamb chops is my non sesame street puppet based nostalgia awesome yeah uh well i'll keep it going with the the puppet theme i do love how you know the good the great children's shows would incorporate the education or at least trying to like teach you something like um, without just kind of just trying to keep you entertained with just noises and colors or whatever. Yep. So um, the one I'm going to mention now is The Polka Dot Door. My God. Um, a Canadian children's television series produced by the Ontario Education Communications Authority from 1971 to 1993. The series featured two hosts who acknowledge and present the show directly to the home viewing audience. Now, that's one thing that I just remember most from The Polka Dot Door one of the main segments of the show was always looking through the polka dot door. It was mm-hmm. one of the things you just always w- would look forward to. Yeah. It would like zoom into a special dot, show you like a short educational documentary. But of course I didn't know as a kid, but now when I'm researching it is that every day was a different day. And so right. there's no way I would have picked up on that when I was a little kid. So sure. Monday apparently was treasure day. Oh. Tuesday was dress up day. 
Wednesday was Animal Day. Thursday was Imagination Day. And Friday was Finding Out Day. So who knows what that meant? Finding Out Day. But yeah, remember remember Pokeroo? I totally do. <laughs> Just like that. He was almost like a big bird type, big yeah. tall looking kind of guy. Um, so yeah, that, that's one. The polka dot door was was definitely big, but another one in terms of like just single location, lots of puppets looking through something, looking through something. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, romper room. Yeah, baby. Hey, so I didn't know that. I thought this was Canadian, but apparently it is. This is interesting. What I found out about this show is that apparently it was an American created show by this. Um, Couple Bert Claster mm. and his wife Nancy, and they created this show, Romper Room, one of the first, I guess, children's shows that were actually like franchised out to different countries. Wow! So there was versions of Romper Room in Canada, the United Kingdom, Japan, Finland, New Zealand, Puerto Rico, and Australia. But at the end of each broadcast, the host would look through a magic mirror <laughs> and recite the rhyme. Romper, bumper, stomper, boo. Tell me, tell me, tell me, do. Magic mirror, tell me today that all my friends have fun at play. And then she would like look into the camera and say, I can see Matt. <laughs> oh, I can see Kyle. And so I just remember sitting there and always like, I yeah. don't even remember if she ever said my name, but yeah, um, that was one of the big, just waiting to maybe like see if they yeah. would say your name, you know. Just, but what a great gimmick for a television show like you involve the kids yeah you know and kids the kids sitting at home watching you they you think they're talking to you it's just such a great what a great entry. great idea yeah yeah what a great one man some more canadian content a canadian preschool television show the elephant show sharon lois and bram hey <laughs> that premiered on cbc in 1984 and ended 1989 but of course we all know skinnamarinky dink Mm-hmm. It's actually the first concert I think I ever remember going to was in Sackville, New Brunswick, where I was a little kid, mm. and I saw Sharon, Lois, and Bram live. Mm. Of course they sang. Yeah. Skin of a rinky dinky dink. But I really like the ending, and it was the elephant dancing along the spider web. Oh, yeah. And he had a top hat and a cane. I do remember that. That's so funny. And it was almost like to like a burlesque beat, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Kids are smarter than you think. Mm -hmm. And being a kid and knowing when someone's hamming it up, it's very disingenuous as a kid. And you're Mm -hmm. like, I don't want that. They seemed like just normal kind of parental figures too. They really did. Sharon Lewis and Bram. In 1993, a panel of experts at TV Guide rated the Elephant Show the number two program for preschoolers. Beating Sesame Street at number five, Barney and Friends at number nine. Damn. hey That's awesome. 93. That means the show had ended four years before. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> 93 seems a little late. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'll continue now with uh, a little, a little one-two punch that I'm going to call... The Cabin in the Woods <laughs> double feature. Both these series take place. Uh, it's very like summer camp, 
you know, cottage country, mm. Canadian, Canadiana, like lakeside. It's like the, the Muskokas. Yes. So uh, the first one I'm going to mention is Camp Caribou, a Canadian children's television show that aired uh, on CTV from 1986 to 1989. And it was so funny. Like I hadn't, I hadn't thought about Camp Caribou yeah. in so long. But when just like thinking about back to what I would put on this like discussion list, uh, all of a sudden I just thought about it. And I searched for it on YouTube, and there's some Camp Caribou on YouTube. And like the the theme song started playing, I was like, "Oh my god, I remember <laughs> this theme song!" And I could remember the the yeah. words and everything. They actually featured real kids, so I remember like the one I watched today. They they had a bunch of kids try out a um, a tongue twister. Oh, yeah. but it was just really awesome to see actual kids' reactions. Yeah. Like they weren't actors; they were just like real kids. Uh, you know, at a summer camp, like trying to do these tongue twisters. Um, but just, I love the feel, just that outdoors, like the the, the canoe rides and the the wilderness. The, yes, the wilderness. Their sketches were ridiculous. The caribou keeners, when they put their hats on, they would lock them on. Lock. Oh yeah. <laughs> what a what a Canadian throwback that is. In terms of Canadiana. I would give him like a, almost like a comedy walk of fame type status uh, for this show, but I'm going to talk a little bit about the Red Green Show. Uh, this is a te- Canadian television comedy that aired uh, mostly on CBC uh, from 1991 until its series finale, April 2006. Wow! So this was a little later than being a kid, like I was 11, I guess. When, but man, this show took off. Man, mm. and it was this was a big hit, nominated for the whole show's run for twenty three Gemini Awards, um, which is the Canadian equivalent of the Emmy Awards, I guess, in the, oh, yeah. the United States uh, for best. But it only won once in nineteen ninety eight for best performance in a comedy program or series. Obviously, that must have been Steve Smith as the iconic Red Green, basically like a, I guess you could say it's almost like a Tim Allen in. Home improvement. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was just a guy. So his whole one of the main sticks was he would like he could fix anything with duct tape. Yep. Remember that was that, like one of his, his whole gimmick. Thing? The premise of the show basically was he was the leader of Possum Lodge, uh, a self-proclaimed handyman who was constantly extolling the virtues of duct tape, the handyman's secret weapon. What was his nephew's name? Harold? Harold. Yeah. So it was just... He, and so he was he, the programmer for yeah, the show. Yeah, so he like made this show from, <laughs> from Possum Lodge and his nephew Harold, who... Uh, what was his name? Patrick Patrick McKenna. And he had like this weird underbite, you know, and just... Kind of like a Steve Urkel, yeah. Weezer vibe. So he was hilarious. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the Red Green Show was uh it was it was always a segment they did called Adventures with Bill. Rick Green was his name. Um but it was Bill Smith the character. It was like a silent movie segment where uh you could even hear the the clicking and the rolling of the the reel. Yeah, yeah. of like the old film camera they used to film so it was like Adventures with Bill so they'd be like uh putting up a tent or building a campfire, Poor but it would always go so wrong, but it was only, it, there was no sound. It was only narrated by red green, but that's what kind of made it like super funny because like <laughs> all of the falls or like the explosions or like the, 
the structures failing or whatever. Like there was no real sound. It was always just like, oh, 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 there it goes, Bill. No, no, you didn't do it yeah. that time, did uh, you, Bill? Oh, no, yeah. you I didn't just, reinforce it. No. <laughs> I just always loved that. I laughed so yeah. hard at those segments, man. No, it wasn't directed towards kids, but it had kid appeal. Oh, of course. It was just it was basically yeah, silly sketch comedy. Do you remember do you remember the the red green like slogan? The creed? If like, women don't find don't you, find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. What a dad bod motto <laughs> to continue on with. Red green, when you say red green, that takes me back to watching hours of the comedy network. Yes, exactly. I'm gonna take it back even further for myself. Growing up at my grandmother's house. We were really big into crafts, really big into crafts, like just make a bunch of things. I would draw all day, every day. And then every once in a while, a show would come on where it was craft oriented. This first entry isn't necessarily craft oriented, but it did have some of that like wholesome grandma vibe programming. And it was called Size Small. Size Small. The biggest memory burn from that was it's, (laughs) <laughs> harmless at at the time, but kind of looking back, it's like, that's kind of creepy. It was the house with eyes, and the camera would slowly pan in on it. But one of my favorite things about the show was this giant dancing record mm. that held two wooden spoons. <laughs> and there were like little segments throughout the show where it would put on a record and it would dance to the record. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre. But to complement that yet again with the craft discussion was another show. It was called Take Part. And one of the things that I remember the most, and it still lingers in my brain, there was a character on the show, and his name was Mr. Twister. And he would uh, take on basically different characters and roles and dress up. His theme song is still with me. To this day, I haven't watched it, haven't heard it actively, you know, since, I don't know, age four, age five, right? Like, you know, we're we're talking 30 years ago, but it's still there. And uh, that would be part of my my day every day with my grandmother where we would just figure out something to do to occupy ourselves. Uh And these kind of shows were not only a part of my nostalgia for the shows, but Part of my nostalgia for my grandmother mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I hadn't thought about it in so long, but then when I remembered it, I realized how much I actually did love it at the time. This might be a deep cut for a lot of people, but who knows? Uh, it was called Square One Television. And so the odd thing about Man. this show was that it was just, um, it was like extreme education for kids and it was about math it was a math centric kids education show uh created by pbs uh it ran from january 87 to november 1992 so not a very big window one of the main things about square one that i remember so much is like they had their their recurring segments so one was math court uh that parodied yes like courtroom, yep. kind of like people's court, whatever. Like so, the judge had it said showed zero tolerance for unacceptable behavior from the audience, and uh, it was always like math problems. Uh, but then one of my favorite segments of Square One I remember is Math Man. It was basically a Pac Man game, and 
He would just go around the board. He'd be like, math man, math man, math man. Being the poly- and every time he would come to a corner, it would like see a math problem that he would, he would have to solve or else he would be eaten by this like weird looking tornado, obviously because they couldn't use the ghosts from Pac-Man or they'd be sued. Um, but the most famous segment from Square One was a parody of Dragnet and it was called, wait for it, MathNet. Hey. <laughs> MathNet. These are the stories. And it was like two detectives who would have to solve crimes, basically math-centric crimes. So they'd have to use their math problem-solving skills to solve these crimes. The one I watched today was the case of the missing baseball. I forget the name of the episode, but basically, so there was this baseball that went missing from a baseball game, and they were they used the degrees from the billboard the big like billboard sign that the ball would have had to hit. If it hit it at 50 degrees from the home plate, it would have to go the other way at 50 degrees. So it was like they used math problems to solve the crimes. It was always, for some reason as a kid, it was like super compelling. It's kind of cheesy now, but man, I love square one. <laughs> man, I love square one. <laughs> square one. But you know what? That totally worked because they made a really, really effective kid show about math and you were into it. I know. And honestly, math was one of my best subjects in school. So what does that say? Square one. (laughs) I know. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, uh, uh. Well, I guess we can give a special shout out to Saturday morning teen centric program. But I would watch it as like a 10 year old, maybe. Most certainly. Uh, I'm talking mostly about, of course, Saved by the Bell. By the time I got my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus drive by. <laughs> like, why was that show so good? It was about like kids that we do not do not relate to at all. Like being from Canada, California, surfer type. Like uh, one thing that I think we can all agree on. Well, at least um, me and you probably could agree on is that although we can't identify with her, we every guy had a crush. On Kelly, Kelly Kapowski, oh. <laughs> in terms of like the super popular Uber, like almost like unattainable cheerleader type, like the girl in high school that like yeah was your dream girl. It's so crazy <laughs> to think that like you know through watching TV, like you develop feelings for yeah. someone. You think yeah. you're developing feelings for them, but it's because you love the character so much. I and I think it's actually a credit to the actors. And it's a, it was well casted. Exactly. A credit to like perfect casting for Tiffany Abertheson to be yes. like, like probably what they were thinking about was like, okay, we need a, like, you know, we do need a dream girl for right. teenage boys in a way. And yeah. they, man, they, I mean, they hit the nail on the head with they her. They nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Topanga mm. in Boy Meets World. But she was kind of like a Phoebe from Friends. Like she was a little kooky. No, you know? I know. But like. When she grew up, I remember those episodes. You remember those awkward episodes where, like, oh yeah, you yeah, hear yeah, the yeah. studio lines go, ooh, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like it still makes me shudder. Like, Ugh. like she became like kind of like a teen boy icon post Kelly mm-hmm. Kapowski. Mm-hmm. That's true. At least for me, yeah, I think she was my type. Maybe anyone that knows anything about me. My number five most nostalgic 
kids TV show, cartoon and or live action. Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hey. But something about comic books, superhero cartoons are your villains got to be cool. Shredder. Shredder, dude. <laughs> Shredder was ultimate evil when it comes to a villain. Plus, you got a cool, like, origin story, betrayal story between, like, Splinter's master was killed by Shredder. Right, right. Yeah. And then you also have, you know, the, the, the auxiliary characters like Krang, Bebop, and Rocksteady. Mm-hmm. But these are all, you know, like, toy derivatives. Like, that's so crazy to me. That you, you create a toy and then you're like, make it a TV show. Mm-hmm. But but they were iconic and they're yeah. still iconic to this day. <laughs> and it is they're still known as, if you said the turtles to anyone, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who's your favorite turtle? Oh, so my favorite turtle is everyone's like, really? You liked him? Oh, so it's got to be Donatello. Yeah. <laughs> I like Donatello. Do you know why? Why? Purple. Okay. That's all. Just the color purple? Literally, that was it. Attitude-wise, I am more aligned with Raphael now. I am sick of everyone's bullshit in life. <laughs> so Raphael appeals to the 36-year-old Matt McGraw you have right in front of you. That's funny. Because when I was little, it, it was all about... My my preference was because of the weapon. So um, I just love Michelangelo because I just love right. nunchucks. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you would have with all your... Fucking martial art movies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you think I'd love, but but I think my favorite has to be Leonardo because because the two the two samurai swords. Like, how much more badass can you get? You sure. Know? To complement that with another cartoon of its era that had massive toy appeal and franchise. I'm talking about the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay, not so- Ghostbusters because that was a different show altogether. This is like almost like a double duty of like toys and TV show. This is the back section of the Sears wish book. Yeah. That was dog-eared and fantasized over that you're like, I need these toys in my life. It was all because of these shows. So good. And, you know, I was I was a huge Ghostbusters franchise fan anyway. I love the movies. Um, both of them. And I am still looking forward to Afterlife because I just love the universe. I don't care. Just give it to me. Yeah, as long as it's good. Yeah, I don't care. Yes, these shows were cool. They were nostalgic to the moment where, you know, you might watch blocks of TV where these shows were kind of paired together like Street Sharks, Gargoyles, you know, Reboot, Bobby's World. But I'm not really nostalgic for those shows. I'm just nostalgic for that era of television. The real Ghostbusters. Well, they they called it the real Ghostbusters because there was already a show called Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of Scooby-Doo oriented, where there was a dog that helped this team of Ghostbusters bust ghosts. Mm-hmm. And wasn't as popular as the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> In terms of, like, timelines, a lot of people would probably have seen Monty Python mm. before... This show. Wow. But for a Canadian kid, yes. I was introduced to this one show. And then, like, 
maybe because I loved this show so much, I then grew to love Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. Um, but this show was called You Can't Do That on Television. What a great <laughs> logo and intro. <laughs> what a great show. Just, I know. A, just I know. such an iconic, almost Canadian uh, sketch comedy show. Uh, the intro was basically a ripoff of the intro to Monty Python's Flying Circus. Basically, but it, it was just, it kind of took place on a single set. The main TV set like segued into different classroom settings. There was like Barf Burger, who was like this restaurant. Barf. Where this, then they'd have like, remember the opposite sketches where everything they said or did was like supposed to be the opposite of what would normally be do normally be done. Um, but the, one of the main best gimmicks of you can't tell t- television was like anytime you said water, suddenly the kid on screen would be like a bucket of water would fall on his head. But what was, is it I don't know? Yeah, it's I don't know. No. Yeah, anytime someone would say I don't know, a big, the whole pile of green slime would fall on these kids' head. And it was just such a weird gimmick, but very entertaining. Of course, to a kid, it was the funniest thing you could ever see. It was amazing. Uh, but yeah, just, I don't know. What it, year, what years were they running? 1979 to 1990. When did uh, Nickelodeon start with their whole slime gimmick? I, I think it came from this. Yeah, premiered '79 on CJOH in oh. Ottawa. Oh yeah, as a locally aired, uh, low budget variety program. Uh, actually, and and one of the most notable, I guess, cast members, mm-hmm. original cast members, was a very short haired, very young, but her face is exactly the same. Alanis Morissette Aww. was on. You can't tell that on television. Well, you ought to know. Yeah, <laughs> you ought to know. <laughs> But I'm bum. Uh, anyways, yeah, that's just a weird show. Like, obviously, you can't remember any specific episode because it was just like like any kids show. It's all random. Like it was no, chaos. Though. Yeah, it's just all chaos. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's you great. can't do, you can't do that on television. That's awesome. So my number three most nostalgic Batman the animated series. Hmm, and that. That just continued my love for Batman. I loved its cool 1930s, like Art Deco, Gotham, but set in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Like it had that very, very like kind of poshy vibe to it, but yet poor at the same time. Very Gotham. The Joker, voiced by Mark Hamill. Yes. Actually, I think recently, wasn't there an article recently or some, someone ranked the Jokers? Yeah. And they said Mark Hamill was the best Joker. I would disagree, but I, I think he's a fantastic Joker. You know, being a child that loved Batman 1989, I, I was honestly, I was okay with Batman Returns, but I just missed the Joker because I love the Joker so much. Mm-hmm. But it was, the, it was the swag, the merchandise that came with the Batman fever of the early 90s that, sure, why not have another toy that I need to get? And I still have them. In that room, I have a bag <laughs> full of toys from mm-hmm. 1989, including mid-90s Batman the Animated Series. Awesome. Cool. That's a good one. What you got, Kyle? Oh, I, well, oh he, no. He's not Batman, but he's he's helped a lot of people. He's And he's also kind of like a ghost. He's like oh. a shadow. Mm-hmm. He's in and out of people's lives, mm-hmm. let's say. This show means so much to me, and like the the theme song evokes so much emotion when I hear it. And this actually, I mean, 
in terms of a theme song, this should be my number one. Mm-hmm. But we're not really ranking them, I, I know. But in terms of nostalgia, it yes. doesn't get any bigger than The Littlest Hobo. Uh. In terms of a children's television show, uh, of course. It was actually it was based on a 1958 film yes. that I've never seen. Aired from 1979 to 1985. Wow. So obviously I might have seen these episodes in reruns. Sure. Because um, I was just so young. Um, but of course... Uh, all these episodes revolved around an intelligent German shepherd mm. who wanders from town to town helping people in need. Um, despite the attempts of many people who helped to adopt him, he appeared to prefer to be on his own and would head off by himself at the end of each episode. And that was just always something awesome about the littlest hobo. <laughs> there was always the great thing about the littlest hobo that they'd be like, wait, where are you going, boy? And he would be kind of already walking away. He would stop, look back at them. And then the people that he helped, they would almost know like, yeah, he needs to go off on his own. And then the theme song would play. And he would just start to walk away. Yeah, There's a voice. Keeps on calling me. <laughs> and you just wander in and out of these people's lives and just help them. He, yeah. he was like a guardian angel. Yes, he, he was. Would, he would help them where they needed to be helped. Yeah. Uh, just such a great idea for a show and like, I don't know, just a perfect, in terms of nostalgia, Sure, it's like a perfect representation of, a perfect memory of that kind of show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doesn't get any better than The Littlest Hobo. It's so wholesome. I know. <laughs> great mm-hmm. theme song. Oh yeah. You actually covered that. I know. With my little dog Josie. Oh. Precious. Lover. Well... So speaking of wholesome, this kind of teeters on, is this meant for kids or not? And this is probably one of the most iconic figures of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Very simple uniform, which is iconic to this day, of a gray suit with a white shirt and a red bow tie. Oh, I'm talking you're, about Pee Wee's Playhouse. Hey! <laughs> I did want, I was like, I know I had Romper Room and Polka Dot Door and those kind of shit. Yeah. Like, you know, and we talked about Pee Wee's Big Adventure before. That's awesome. Like, I wasn't, you know. That's my second. Hey! That's my second top. And I'll tell you why. It was just so weird and zany. It was almost like those moments where when you're a kid and you're watching something. And you're having fun, and it seems innocent, and then something really weird happens, and then you think about that while you're still being entertained and you're trying to move on with your brain, but yet you can't help but think about that one weird thing. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily have one weird thing from Pee-wee's, but no, like there's Pee-wee's many. whole vibe is like, whose brain concocted this other than Paul Rubens like there's there's a team that worked on this clearly oh yeah like you've got Cherry yeah which was a chair that talked yeah uh, a pterodactyl named Terry with a P of course um, those talking flowers I was in gonna the say I love those talking they always sing songs like though I watched an episode of that recently and it was like we love the rain like yeah it was like when it rains it's the best and even Pee Wee's like I love the rain <laughs> It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, Conky. Oh, yeah. And it was like the robot. 
Yes. And then I realized, I was like, wow, that, is that where Trailer Park Boys got Conky from? Well, because, you know, they did have Billy Baloney, who was the puppet. Billy Baloney. Ventriloquist dummy. Oh, yeah. Um, which I, so that, that leads me into the other part is that I actually had a lot more toys of Pee Wee's than I remembered. Mom and Dad still have my Pee Wee's Playhouse with all of the figures, including Terry. Wow. Uh, Conky. Those couple of puppets. You've got Missy Vaughn. Lawrence Fishburne played uh, the cowboy. Oh, yeah. What was his name? Oh, my God. Curtis. Cowboy Curtis. Jeez. The king that would come in and he would play like an animated short. And he would pull up in the taxi. Man, you remember way more of this than me. I, I remember like the word of the day. And yes, of course. Conky would turn that out. And then there was, of course, Jombie, which is completely politically incorrect. And it was the floating head in the box and he would grant a wish he was a genie oh yeah and then there was like talking floorboards and there was like a a jazz band oh my goodness but like just think back to the peewee movies Mm -hmm. take the little the little snippets that burton put in the movie that was in the show but what was weird about peewee's big adventure was that there was no none of those puppets are like weird no it was all Real people. No, but his world. Oh, his world. His house is insane. It loaned yeah. itself to this. Yeah, that's And true. it was just the, the the expansion of it, right? Um, but yeah, no, it was like he had a transient cast of, you know, weird individuals that were lovable to a kid, probably crazy to an adult. But Pee Wee was big. Oh, yeah. But like as creepy as some people think that Pee Wee's playhouse might have been mm-hmm. i loved it oh yeah for that reason <laughs> it was like a mix there was a mix of animation there was a mix of live action and puppetry like it really had a lot going on for it there can only be one of course like even though i'm not ranking it there has to be only one that i have to mention last uh and in terms of kids shows a show that i guess means the most to me growing up as a kid in canada uh it, i I mean, how could you not say Degrassi Junior High is the greatest <laughs> television kids show of all time? Wow. Uh, and not Degrassi High. Not Kids of Degrassi Street. I'm talking Degrassi Junior High. And it ran from January 87 to February mm-hmm. 89. We're talking like a seriously small window. But what an impact this show had. We talked a little bit about Saved by the Bell. That was like a bubblegum pop version of Degrassi Junior High. Degrassi Junior High was like... Although it had humor, maybe that's why it hit like so well with the people that watched it because it was like a serious show about seventh and eighth graders. Like it dealt with topics such as substance abuse, teenage pregnancy, racism, um, mm. and just the cast of characters. You're talking about like a a Simpson esque, a Springfield esque, right? Ensemble cast. You had like. Yeah, exactly. Like Joey Jeremiah, Wheels, Snake, you had Spike, Caitlin, uh, Arthur. Mm-hmm. Take the breakfast, breakfast Club and multiply it by five. Okay. That's Degrassi Junior High. Yeah. Like, it was just, it's just the greatest Canadian television show of all time. And like, one that I guess means the most to me. Like, so many great episodes involving social status and prom and like making. Every single kind of like Real story. Discussions. Yeah, just everything yeah. you could imagine about being a kid in junior high. 
uh, anyways, this show just hits everything for me. Yep. It's like timeless. I just, I still love and the you know, show. And something that I didn't watch, but I'm completely aware of that, that, that is, I'm not surprised that that ranked higher for you being slightly older than myself. Yeah. And I think it's because of that age, maybe age gap mm-hmm. that you were able to relate with them quicker than I could have mm-hmm. when it was new. Now, that being said, yes, Degrassi was on every other you know, like what yeah. Was it, if YTV you're talking about and, you're talking about Drake, you're talking about the new generation. Well, sure. Yeah, but I don't. I, but yeah, so it's 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 evolved and, yes. and gone on, I guess, as the years go. Yeah, but that's cool. That I mean, Degrassi is definitely a huge part of the television fabric of Canadian or the fabric of Canadian television. I mean, it's crazy to me too when I when I look at that stat. Um, it almost makes me think of. You think of a band like Nirvana. Right. Like a, a band that's so important, right? Yeah. They really only existed because of, of course, the untimely death of Kurt Cobain. But sure. they were only around for like four to five years. Right. But their legacy lives on. Yeah. It's just insane to me as a kid that was obsessed with Degrassi mm. that it only existed from January 87 to February 89. That just almost like... It's unbelievable to yeah. me the, how much I love those shows and I watch those shows like over and over again. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. But that speaks to nostalgia. Mm-hmm. That speaks to the ability to be locked in to um, your first like situational programming, um, putting you in line with characters and situations and um, actually almost like a like an aspiration element where you're like, I want to be like this person. Yeah. Well, I wanted to be in the zit remedy of like, there you go. <laughs> Everybody wants something. They'll never give up. It's a pretty terrible song. But when I watched it <laughs> at the time, I was like, man, this, these guys are awesome. Like I want to be Joey Jeremiah's best friend, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. That's awesome. Okay. Well, This next entry is my number one childhood memory of a show that meant a lot to me growing up. Who is it? I don't know. You're going to have to give me some clues. I'm talking about Ernest P. World. Oh, my God. (laughs) How did I not know that? And his one season show. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest. Ernest. It had 13 episodes, and it aired between September 88 and December 88. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. You're talking, you're, you're saying that show only aired for one, like, year? Less, I, I, I'm less? saying it aired from mid-September until end of December. What? I can't believe that was that short-lived. That was very short. Every episode had a theme. Outer space, clothing, scary things, movies, magic, sports, pets, hobbies, food, holidays, school, lost and found, and talent. All of those, I could probably begin to recite them for you right now. <laughs> I bet I you could. love, I love Ernest, as you know. In my opinion, better than the movies because it allowed him to play out all of his characters in a half an hour around a theme or a topic. And it involves some kids as well, like some kid actors in between the segments. 
it was edited so well. Jim played Ernest, Auntie Nelda with the green dress and the neck collar. Of I course. Her. Um, my favorite, Dr. Otto. Um, Sergeant Glory. Oh, yeah. Um, Baby Ernest, which was. Oh yeah, <laughs> which was his head cut through a mattress and a doll's body, and uh, Aster <laughs> Clement, which I don't know if he appeared in much, but he was like the highbrow Jim Varney kind of character. But he had a a revolving cast of characters who played auxiliary roles, like uh, that were in his movies, um, uh, Chuck and Bobby. I don't know if you remember them, but Gaylord Sartain, he played Chuck, Lonnie Dawn, and Matt Finish, who was a photographer, of course. His brother, Bobby, that was played by Bill Burge. Bruce Arnston, who played Existo the Magician, Mike the Clown, and he wrote the music and segues in it. He was also the one who wrote that horrific intro song for the Dr. Otto soundtrack. Hey, Vern, it's Ernest is still my n- most nostalgic kids' TV memory. How many shows that you can think of allowed the camera to zoom into the host's mouth and then cuts to a person in a costume of their tongue talking to the camera and everyone be okay with it? I know. Different times. Different times, my man. <laughs> <laughs> That's our episode for this week. Yeah, another deep dive into your weird, into our weird subconscious psyche. Yeah, that's ours, but you know what? That's yours. I know. Some of the stuff we we talked about, I can't imagine it not being in a lot of people's brains. Yeah. Maybe stuff like square one might not be in, you know, who knows? But this, this was our list. But I'd love to hear what yours were. Thanks, everybody, for listening. My name is Kyle, of course, for a Nostalgia Junk Podcast, saying, remember, the women don't find you handsome. They should at least find you handy. And I'm Matt from Nostalgia Junk Podcast saying, every cloud has a silver lining. You've got nothing to fear but fear itself. And Vern, stop, turn right on red. Know what I mean? 